Hey everyone, Joe Soto here, and we are live, and we've got a really special guest today. We've got Richard Brooke, who's in the house. And for those of you who don't know who he is, he provides entrepreneurs with the proven tools and mindsets to grow their teams, to grow their businesses, to grow their organizations. And he's been the owner of multiple companies. He's been, you know, been in direct sales, network marketing. He has traditional businesses that he's owned and grown over the years. Um, and he offers something called I think it's pronounced ontological coaching. We're going to learn a little bit more about that when we bring them on. His personal development book, which I'm holding right here and have read actually numerous times, this is the newest edition, which I was really happy to receive, is called Mach 2 with Your Hair on Fire. Uh, it's helped thousands of people break the chains of self-sabotage and create new empowering visions for their lives and businesses. We're going to talk about mastering self-motivation on this episode. Stay with us. I'll be right back with the one and only Richard this is the Not Your Average Joe Show, where each week we bring you sales, marketing, and mindset strategies you need to get to your next level. And now, here's your host, international business mentor, Joe Soto. Richard Brooke, welcome. <laughs> Wait, I can't hear you all of a sudden. Hold on. How about now? All right. I can hear you now. <laughs> Welcome to the Not Your Average Joe show. You are not average, my friend. Thanks for being with us. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. It's an honor to be here. I have just slightly above average people on the show and you qualified. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, you've got quite good. a backstory. And as we were talking before we got on here, we have uh, we have a lot in common without having ever met. Um, I've actually been really uh, connected to you as being part of some of your companies in the past. And that's pretty exciting. So it's really a special treat for me. If, if people think I'm going to be on here just giving value, which we're going to give uh, from you to them, but this is kind of a selfish opportunity for me to be able to meet you one-on-one -on -one and just tell you thank you for all that you do and all that you've done uh, for me uh, in my life. I had owned your books uh, several editions back, as you've seen, before we got on here. So thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Um, that's um, that's a lot of fun. I can't believe we we'd never met. That's kind of crazy. Um, <laughs> Because we've been, we've been circling for yeah, yeah. Decades, we've, been seems like. we've been we've been crossing a lot of paths. So you have um, before we jump into self motivation, uh, which is the, the hot topic of your twenty fifth anniversary edition yeah. <laughs> of your book, <laughs> Mock Two with your hair on fire. I love this book, and I love it um, because you kind of did it workshop style this time around even more so uh, than in the earlier editions. And I really, I have a lot of questions around it. Uh, so we're going to get into, but give everybody a little bit of your backstory. Cause you know, I don't know that I edified you well enough, your backstory of how to kind of where you started, you shared in the book. I think it'd be great for people to hear that original root story, what that turned into for you. And then let's get into the meat and potatoes of the book. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll give you the four minute version. Um, so I, I'm actually at my ranch in California, which, um, you know, I grew up on a ranch next to here. And when you grow up on a ranch, you're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. You don't develop necessarily a lot of social skills. And uh, so then we moved to the big city after we sold the big ranch. And I don't know, I just kind of struggled as a kid. I didn't have a lot of social skills. I didn't do well in school at all. School never made any sense to me at all. Like, what? Why are you teaching us to memorize all this stuff we're never going to use? And so I barely got out of high school. 
And in an ag community, if you don't get, you know, really good grades and go on to college, you're going to end up back in the ag community, either working on the ranch, the dairy, the farm, or in my case, I ended up working at Foster Farms, which was a chicken processing plant. And I worked there for four years. Kind of the great irony of it is I actually loved it there. And I had, I didn't know anything about vision or goal setting, but I had my whole career at Foster Farms mapped out. And I was going to someday run this chicken plant because the guy that ran it, Mike Hoyt, he had a company car. He had a 1976 Mustang II. Nice. Yeah, which as we know is like the worst piece of crap Mustang ever made in the history of Ford Motors. Uh, but I wanted that company car and I wanted to run the chicken plant. But four years into my career, Foster Farms made a company-wide decision, which they've since reversed, that you couldn't advance any further than I already was without a four-year college degree. Mm. And I was just at a low level of management. And so then kind of backing into what happened, well, the guy that got me the job at the chicken plant was a really good buddy of mine from high school, Steve Spaulding, and he'd already left and gone on to the Ragu Spaghetti Sauce Factory, but he got involved in network marketing. I didn't know anything about it. I'd never heard of Amway, never heard of network marketing or anything like that. He started calling me saying, hey, you got to come to a meeting. We're going to make a lot of money. And, and I legitimately told him no. And it wasn't that I didn't want to make more money. I'd worked, you know, probably 20 hours a week just to try to get a $100 a month raised out of the company. It's, it was the whole idea of getting outside your comfort zone, going to a meeting with strangers, yeah. a business meeting. I didn't know what any of that stuff was. And so I just said no, because it was just way outside my comfort zone. I didn't want to sell. I hated all that kind of stuff. I was just, I was a chicken guy. I was a ranch guy. And so anyway, the policy changed all of a sudden. And the next time I went by Steve's house, he was celebrating his new network marketing career. And so I looked and, you know, the moral of that story is people will adamantly and authentically tell you, no, not ever. <laughs> and but still <laughs> 400,000 people a week are joining a company somewhere. And so, you know, it's kind of an old cliche in network marketing, but no doesn't necessarily mean no. It just means the moment you decided to yeah. call me, I'm not thinking about this. And that was me. So anyway, I, I looked at what Steve was doing and, you know, to my credit, I, I was very curious. I kept looking. I kept looking. I looked for three weeks and I finally got in. And I failed miserably for a couple of years because I didn't have the skills or the attitude or anything. And then another network marketing cliche, I just happened to sponsor a guy, uh, which I could do a whole day of, of training on how, what led up to me actually getting my head right to sponsor this guy. But I sponsored a guy that was a 10. And you and I have a similar story like that. You know, yeah. you could be a two in network marketing. Yeah. And if you sponsor a 10, well, you're at least a 10, <laughs> it's not a 12, right? So that happened for me. And then I sponsored three more like him. And gosh, by the time I was 28 years old, Joe, I had, I had 30,000 active people on my team. I was making $40,000 a month in 1981. Wow. 
And, and I still use that product today. I just used it yesterday <laughs> here on the ranch. Amazing. So what I tell people is, yeah, you know, I've been on the cover of Success Magazine and I've served on the board of directors of the DSA and the ethics committee. And I've owned a couple of companies and I've had a great run. Yeah. But I tell people, you know, if you made 40 grand a month, which in today's money would be about 200. By the time you were 28 years old, like six years into your network marketing career, you're making 200 grand a month. And I don't mean in a flashbang company, I mean a, a real, real company with a real yeah. product. I imagine you could go on to write a couple of books and influence some people and, and make a mark on a career. And that's all that happened to me. Really what happened to me is I sponsored a guy named Jerry Schaub and then I just hung on. That was your green light story. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah, yeah you've been reading. <laughs> <laughs> in uh, in Cedar Rapids, yep. Iowa, while yep. you were living in Des Moines, which is really easy for me to remember that part of your book because I'm from Iowa. Where? <laughs> I, I grew up in Washington, Iowa. And at the end of 2014, my wife and I moved from Waukee, Iowa, which was yep. west, of, west of Des Moines. Yep. Yeah. Wow. So another another connection we didn't know we had. Yeah. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> I didn't realize it until I was getting into your to the book and it and I and I knew it, it triggered to me because I think I had saw it in the previous book or heard you talk about it one time and I'm like we have we have roots in Iowa together. Um, I spent a lot of time in Iowa. I actually worked for a company out of Cedar Rapids for a while and lived in Cedar Rapids for a while. So we'll talk about that in a minute. The green okay. light story because that's jumping too far ahead in the book. Yep. Okay. Uh, I'm going to talk about, we got about a red light before we talk about green light, <laughs> a red vision, you call it. <laughs> I got a few of those. Yeah. yeah right. Right. Uh, so uh, you, you, you heard, uh, you heard Richard nonchalantly say, and hey, that led to getting on the cover of success magazine, which was called we create millionaires. That was the cover of the magazine and his face is like front and center on there. As one of the leading entrepreneurs uh, in the network marketing and uh, multi-level marketing industry at the time, which is, uh, I actually had that magazine, <laughs> which is maybe I, you know, maybe we manifested coming together like this because I had that magazine. I remember where I was sitting at the time I had that magazine in front of me. In fact, I think I got reprints of it. Yep. Because the reprints of that magazine helped with recruiting, and there's a lot of people on here watching this who may not know that. I had a, cause, cause the audience I have now, and we didn't go into a lot of this, you know, we, I now serve a lot of, uh, entrepreneurs, a lot of consultants, agency owners, digital marketing, uh, people and so on because of my, uh, recent history in the last decade in that space. But prior to that, uh, I had, I was doing sales training and network marketing and they were separate, but network marketing had really taken off at one point. I'd met my wife through a network marketing company. So here we are full circle. All right, let's jump into a couple concepts in the book because uh, I type type up my notes <laughs> and I just stick them right in front of me. Uh, and I actually dictate my notes and then print it out is what I do. So in the book, uh, you kind of lead it off with talking about the stories we tell ourselves, how we self-sabotage ourselves with what you call I am statements that really are a negative, have a negative impact on our self-image. Can you talk a little bit about what those I am statements are? Because I believe some people in our audience are going to relate to saying these things, unfortunately, sometimes on a daily basis. So yeah. talk to us a little bit about how we do that, how we tell ourselves stories and uh, what some of these I am, I am statements are. 
Yeah, well, to like kind of give it overall context, if you if you just look at the planet Earth and look at the history of planet Earth, go you know go back however many thousands of years you want, there's only one species that has risen above their DNA and created something besides an ant hill or a burrow or a bird's nest or anything else that animals create. And if you just look around the world for better or worse, in a lot of cases worse, right? We've been on a trajectory of destroying planet Earth with our creativity. So we're the only species on the planet that can think beyond our DNA. We can create, we have imagination. We make up stories. And it is those stories that uh, become self-fulfilling in our lives. It's the gift. It's also a curse. And so the people that create magnificent manifestations in their life, they just understand that that gift of imagination, that gift of creativity, and they understand it can work against you or can work for you. And then there's sort of a built-in, almost genetic predisposition that's created in early childhood. So in our, what we call formative years, maybe about age prenatal, prenatal to age five, we tend to make up our personality based on the world around us. So if we're raised in a beautiful white picket fence family, you know, the leave it to beaver kind of family, we're probably going to make up that we're okay we're loved, we're enough, we're a good person, we deserve to have happiness and joy in our life. But most of us were not raised in that environment. Most of us were raised in a somewhat dysfunctional family, a family where there was stress, where maybe the stress rose to the level of yelling, or maybe it rose to the level of emotional abuse, or even violence. And you know, it doesn't even have to be your parents. It could be just what you're watching on TV at the age of two or three years old. Yeah. But when we're raised in that kind of environment, we tend to make up that who we are is not enough. We're not safe. We're not loved. We don't matter. Those kind of, they're different than affirmations. They're actually, they're actually statements that we make as in our formative years that define our personality or our viewpoint about us and the world. And so that's where negative self-esteem is created. Self-esteem is the number one communicative disease in the world. The number one self-esteem, low self-esteem is the number one communicative because we are given low self-esteem usually by other people that have low self-esteem. So if your parents had low self-esteem, if they were afraid, if they were angry, if they get triggered easily, uh, then they would tend to create an environment where you would not feel safe as a two-year-old or a three-year-old or a four-year-old. So you would tend to make up negative statements or as you see the world, you know, for example, fast forward now, you're 30 years old and somebody puts an opportunity in front of you, you would tend to see the world as, oh, what if I fail? What if I can't? What if nobody will listen to me? Um, you know, I'm not good enough. You know, oh, if I make a lot of money, people will hate me. I mean, all kinds of bizarre negative affirmations that are sort of rooted in that childhood self-esteem. 
And then there's a few of us, not me. I had to actually use my technology to raise myself from the dead. But there's a few of us, about maybe 3% of the population, that are raised in an environment that's nurturing and it's safe and it's loving. And they tend to go on and somebody puts an opportunity in front of them at 20, 30, 40, 50 years old. And what they say to themselves is, I can do that. People will listen to me. I deserve to make more money. I deserve to travel the world. I deserve better health. I deserve better wealth. I deserve more wisdom. I'm not afraid of more wisdom. I'm not afraid of being coached. You know, they make up stories. So it's all based in the story. And the story becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because the story is what motivates us to lean in or dive in and do the work. Yeah. If you have a story that says, what if I fail? Well, you're not going to engage. Right. I mean, as human beings, we're number one survivors. So if we think we're going to die, if we think we're going to get rejected, if we think we're going to get humiliated, mm-hmm. we don't dive in. We hold back. We hide. We avoid. We go a different direction. But if you think... If your story is, I can do this, you know, the, the whole secret to duplication, Joe, and network marketing is whoever you're being and whatever you're doing as a network marketing leader. Somebody else can duplicate. Yeah. I mean, if the person you're talking to doesn't look at you and listen to you and look what you're putting on the yellow yeah. pad or the whatever, the whatever you're showing them, if they don't say, I can do that. Yeah. You got nothing. And So that might be a convoluted way to answer your question, but um, I have used that technology to raise myself from a low self-esteem, sabotaging, avoiding, scared to death. And it's all domain specific, Joe. If you put me out in the wilderness, if you give me a knife and put me out in the wilderness and say, I'll see you in a week, well, I'll be, you know, Afraid a little bit, but I'll wait in. Why? I know I can survive. Yeah, I know you'll I can be survive. okay. If you put me in a suit and you say, here's a briefcase, go walk into the city and sell this stuff, I'm going to run and hide. <laughs> and so confidence, self-esteem is a lot domain specific. And the master's are the ones who, wherever they're at on the scale, they learn the art of changing their story, which changes their belief system, and then it changes their actions, and it changes their results. And I did that for myself, and anybody can do it if you learn the art and science of how the manifestation process works. This 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 is one of the reasons why... Um I have, I, I want to, you want to, you want to give it the, the impression and be able to impression your children, impress upon them very early on with stuff that might counter <laughs> what you might not realize you're doing yeah. at the same time. And uh, I'll give you an example. I told my daughter yesterday, cause she was talking to me about a book that she was reading and she's a freshman in high school. And uh, it was, it was, t- it was kind of, it was, she was talking to me about it. It was just, it was depressing, like horrible. Like that's a horrible book to be reading. I, I didn't say that out loud. I just listened right. to her and I let, let her explain what the storyline was, but 
it was kind of traumatic. It was like horrible, like a novel. And I said, well, I have a, a new book for you. It's in my office. And it's called The Slight Edge for Teens. I'm sure you've heard of The Slight Edge. Yes. Uh, and it's called Slight Edge for Teens. It's actually right up here, uh, uh, to my right up here. And I said, it's in my office. And uh, I said, I haven't given it to you yet, but I do have it. And your mom asked me about it. And so she looked it up you know, really fast on, on Google, of course, on her phone and while I'm driving her home. And she starts reading out loud what it's about. I said, and, and which is all about self-confidence and belief and all this. And I'm like, if I, if, if I could tell her all these things, but it's much better to have people like you and, or people who have written books, this would be, this is a great book to give kids. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it'll be next in line. If not, except for my marked up copy won't be, but I, I, uh, think you, what you said was really hit home. I, I interviewed a gentleman earlier uh, last week who went from homeless at 12, basically to billionaire today. And actually he went homeless a couple of times and, and, uh, but he's really successful multiple times and rebuilding his fortune a couple of times. But the, 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 he said at 12 years old, he was given Napoleon Hill's think and grow rich. Wow. Which, you know, can, can at a very early age counteract, you know, what maybe his upbringing at the time, which I don't think was, was that great because he had ran away, basically hitchhiked away from home. And somebody gave him that book at that early age. But think about how he doesn't have, you know, some of the uh, life experiences yet to, to, to muddy that up. And so he just started off with that belief system of I can do it. If I set my mind to it, I can do it. And he did. And, you know, most people overlook that part of his story. They're hearing all these other things that he did. But what you just said about how this can be rooted in really your upbringing <laughs> And you have to counteract that um, with this, the technology, with the principles in your book. Let's um, let's keep let's keep moving um, because there's so much in the book. You you give away the secrets to success in your book, and I'm skipping a few questions in the interest of time here. Your stuff on creativity is really interesting and good, and I I love that. And one of my um, friends, mentors, and clients is Michael Gelb, who wrote How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci. So that was actually a big part of my book. If you guys want to learn his take on creativity, get the book. But the you, you give away the secrets to success in your book. You share an amazing quote that I wrote out, um, dictated out, because <laughs> um, I thought it was really good. You said, because I cry in a movie, I know it is not real. I can accomplish anything to which I set my heart's desire. So you're saying you're, get, you're watching a movie, you know it's not real. You're getting emotionally involved and attached. It's having a, you're giving a, having a real visceral emotional attachment to it um, gives you an indication of what? Can you elaborate well, on that? Yeah. So if there's a secret to success, mm -hmm. it's not really a secret, but I remember when the secret came out, I <laughs> yeah. was so excited. I thought, wow, <laughs> finally, these all these pundits are going to tell people how it works instead of keeping it a secret. Why would it be a secret? Why don't we just tell everybody what it is and let everybody use it? <laughs> then I watched the whole secret and I was just <laughs> let down at the end because they never told anybody what the secret was. They just telling them it's a secret. It's a secret. And you can learn how to do it. Well, okay, how about you tell us what it is? They never did. I told Bob <laughs> Proctor that when I interviewed him, I said, well, just tell people what it is. And so he came the closest. He came the closest. Yeah, he did. <laughs> if there's a secret, if I just, I made this up as the secret, I'm not saying Bob Proctor agrees with this, but he, of course, understands this. I just isolated it down to if there's a secret, it's this. And the secret is that to the degree there is clarity. That This is like psycho-cybernetics. Good. To the degree there Favorite is book. clarity. And clarity is it's variable, but to the degree there's clarity, 
the mind, psycho-cybernetics says the mind, but I say it's more than the mind. It's the spiritual self. It's the emotional self. It's the physical self. It's really everything from about here down. From about here down to the degree there's clarity cannot tell the difference between a real event and one vividly imagined. And so how's that become the secret to success? Well, if you could train from here down, your spiritual self, your subconscious, your emotional IQ, your physicality, like all of it, if you could train from here down, that, for example, I'll just use business development as an example. Train from here down that you talk to one new potential client, you prospect, what it doesn't matter what business you're in. Yeah. You engage with one new potential client a day, six days a week, non-negotiable. That's who you are. That's your DNA. It's not something you do. It's who you are. It's part of your identity. Love if that. you could train this part of you, that that's who you are and you do it every day, no matter what. You don't have to try to do it. You don't have to be disciplined to do it. You don't have to be committed to do it. It's just you who just you are. do it, right? Yeah. Like you do other things. It's part of your routine. Day. Yes. Yeah. If you could train this part of you that that's what you do every day. Let's say you do it every day for 179 days, five months and 29 days. If this part of you believed that that's who you are and what you do every day, then what do you think you would do on the 180th day? The same thing. Yes, you would do the same thing just automatically, right? Yeah. Because this part of us cannot tell the difference between if you actually did talk to one person a day every day for 179 days, that's you look back and you go, oh, that's what I've done for the last uh, five months and 29 days. That's what I do every day. That's who I am. That's my track record. That's my habit. I, that's just what I do. What will I do today? Of course, I'll talk to another person. If it was actually your track record, if it was a, a real experience, you would consciously say it's the truth about me. It's not a story. It's not a vision. It's not a goal. It's not an affirmation. You would you say are. it's the truth, right? Because why? Well, because I actually did it, right? So I'm not, I'm not, you know, telling myself a lie. I'm not motivating, my, motivating myself. I actually did it. This is my track record. Five months, 29 days. Talk to one person a day, every day. What am I going to do today? Oh, you know, bet a million dollars. I'll talk to another person. Well, if this part of us, the manifestation part of us, can't tell the difference between you actually talk to one person a day and you just visualized correctly that you talk to one person a day, if it can't tell the difference, then this part of us, the manifestation part of us, holds the visualization as though you actually did it. Yeah, so then yeah. what do you think you would do on the 180th day? You would do the same thing that you hold as the truth. So what we're doing through this secret is we're collapsing visualization with truth because the way we hold it, most of us is, 
Well, if I actually did it every day, then of course I would do it on the 180th day. But that's different than if I set a goal to do it or I'm doing affirmations or I have a vision about doing it. It's actually not different if you do it correctly because this part of us does not discern. How do I know that? Because you and I can sit in a movie. Yeah. And we can know for a fact None of this happened. <laughs> right. right. None of it happened. Yeah. You know, somebody died. Big love story and somebody died. No, they didn't actually die. In fact, they're sitting on their, their balcony in Malibu right now, looking <laughs> at the ocean, reading a script for their next movie. <laughs> right. Right? right. They're not dead. Nobody's got their heart broke. None of this happened. You know, the person who's like the girl who's walking through her house in dark at night and there's somebody behind the door with the knife and we're like, you know, your wife or whoever you're with, you know, you, you will get it in your body. You may not go to the point where she goes, where she goes, how come she doesn't see him? Yeah. <laughs> you know, freaking out in a movie where she knows in yeah. an hour we're going to get up and we're going to go have dinner. Brilliant. So this part of us responds in the movie because movies are enough clarity. Movies by design, the art is, we have to create enough clarity and create a powerful enough story yeah. that the audience's subconscious mind, their emotional IQ, their spiritual self is moved. Yeah. In their if, down to their bones. If the yeah. if the audience is moved, yeah. then the audience can't tell the difference between a real experience and one vividly imagined. Yeah, and wow. now we get Oscars. <laughs> so our job in the art of manifestation is learn how all this mechanism works and create an art out of writing visions. You know, most people, when I ask them what their vision is, you know, they get it all wrong. They tell me what they want their vision to be. Oh, my vision is to, you know, double my income or do this or do that or do this or do that. I said, no, 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 no. That's what you want your vision to be. When I ask you what your vision is, how you, how you really want to answer that is tell me what you've been doing relative to that domain for the last 90 days. Wow. Yeah. You tell me what you've been doing for the last 90 days. That's your vision. That other thing you're playing with, <laughs> that's what you want your vision to be. And that's good. That's a start. Yeah. What, what are you living? Right. And the only way you know that is just look at your track record. Yeah. Amazing. I, I love this example of how you just walked us through that and related it to watching a movie. You know, if you, if you watch an episode of, dateline or nightline or one of these you know like true crime type stories and it's a real documentation of what's happened and you have a emotional effect it isn't any different you can you can actually match that up to a you know movie that you go to that is about a crime or you know something similar that is not true you still feel the same it still has the same impact on you and not only seeing a movie and getting so emotionally involved in that can can have that impact but you it can be so strong you you may go to bed and dream about it yeah for sure <laughs> and wake up having nightmares about something that was completely false but that is what you're saying a baseline for understanding what your mind and what you're capable of doing 
if you do it the correct way. Yeah. And, and, and keep visualizing, mind, that's the best example of how to visualize that I've heard from anyone actually and how it works. You know, the, the story that we say is true. Oh, I watched a Dateline or 2020 and that was a true story. Well, we decided it was true because somebody on TV told us, told it, us was. it was true. Yeah, that's right. like another great point. Another great what if point. they lied? Yeah, right. They do all the time. Right? Yeah, what? <laughs> the media lies? What? <laughs> You're kidding me. Yeah. Don't ruin, don't ruin it for everyone. All we have to do is decide whoever's telling us is an authority figure. We don't even vet the story, right? We just, oh, well, they're an authority figure. Therefore, the story is true. Yeah. That's why parenting is so huge because yeah. what we tell our children, they hold us as, you know, we're the Walter Cronkite of the world. When we tell our kids something, they don't vet it. Right. I mean, they do if they're teenagers, right? But I'm <laughs> talking about if they're two or three or four years old, right. they don't Google it. Right. They That's don't right. challenge us, they just take it in. The, the the elf on the shelf has powers. My yes. my three year old told me the other day. I'm like, he goes, it has powers. I'm like, <laughs> if only everybody could be this easily persuaded. Yeah. Um, for now, until he figures out how to climb and grab it, um, we have to keep it out of a certain height because he will do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell us what you mean by um, well, you talk about uh, the gold is in the gap in the book. Um, and I, I really love the green light story we talked about earlier. So you can kind of pick what you want to share here on this piece. But for our listeners and viewers, if you could explain what you mean by red light vision, yellow light vision, and, and, a, and a green light vision and a green light story, and maybe relating back to your green light story, um, how, do we do, how do we find our own? Maybe share a little bit of information around that. Okay. Because um, I like that categorization of, Instead of calling it self-sabotage, calling it red light vision. Right. Yeah. You know, Bob Proctor does a great job of explaining this. And the first time I ever heard about the gap, I uh, was watching an infomercial that Bob Proctor did 35 years ago. I'm just, wow. He, I didn't even know he did infomercials. Oh, yeah. He's like <laughs> putting it on a chalkboard. He was writing on a chalkboard. That, and he used the thermostat. The thermostat's another great way to yeah. give an You example. do in your book, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the gap. Uh, but red light, green light, yellow light is just a way of labeling the vision, story, vision, same thing, yeah. relative to the goal. So if the goal is that I want to have a vastly better relationship with my spouse and I have a way of quantifying that. So I don't know, maybe it's intimacy, maybe it's, um, you know, how often she speaks my love language back to me, um, how few arguments we have. You got to have some way of quantifying it. But if the sure. goal is, I want to have a significantly better uh, relationship with my spouse, that's the goal. So red light, yellow light, green light is relative to the goal. What's the story or what's the vision relative to the goal? The goal is nice. The goal is important. All that's great. But we need to understand that in terms of universal laws, the universe could care less what we want. Right. The universe doesn't even open one eye halfway about our white hot burning <laughs> desire about what we want. Could care less. Doesn't respond to it. How do we know that? Well, look at all the people 
around the world that want all this kind of stuff. And they also are willing to work to the bone to get it. Universe yeah. doesn't care about that either. Yeah. Doesn't care about either one of those things. Only cares what is your dominant story relative to the goal. So if you want a vastly better relationship with your wife, but your story is she won't listen to me, she won't respond, I keep screwing up, I'm just the way I am, I shouldn't have to change. <laughs> but those are just examples of a red light story. And those are just like the affirmations, right? Yeah. The story is actually the whole movie that you play, right? So if the movie you play in your hit head is, oh, I, that's just not me. Oh, I, I know I need to say nice things to her, but everything that comes after the but is the red light movie. Yeah. So, and we're not talking about it self sabotages you and stops you in your tracks before it you does. can get started. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's an identity. It's just, and it doesn't have to, it's not a 90 minute feature film. It's a nine second feature film at best. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just, yeah. it's just a flash. It changes your body chemistry in a flash. Yeah. And you find yourself with your foot nailed to the floor. You know, you're supposed to stop and pick up the flowers, but you just keep driving. Well, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, oh, giving flowers makes me look weak. I don't, I shouldn't have to give, there's your feature film. Yeah, done. Right. So you can want a better relationship with your wife till you're dead. And if you don't change that movie, you're dead when it comes to your relationship. So what's a yellow light vision? Well, well before you jump in the yellow light, yeah. I, I want to just help you guys understand that you've got an amazing way of illuminating this in the book. And um, with, with what you just shared around red, that red light, because what you're doing is you're making something conscious to us that isn't always conscious. So hope everyone's listening that what, Richard just gave us as a gift is the ability now to be where he gave us, he gave us a tool to become self-aware of something that is a red light vision for us in our lives. That's probably happening to all of us at some point, every single day that we now can become conscious, some conscious control over to move, you know, to move away from being a red light. So let's now talk about yellow. Let's try to yeah. unpack some of this for everyone. Cause you go over it so quick, you take it for granted, but I this is, this is really gold and I appreciate it. Well, everything I just talked about, red light, most people call self-sabotage. It is self-sabotage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you want something, but you just keep undermining. Red light is, is, if you do ever catch yourself doing it, it's red light, then it's like a softer way to, you know, <laughs> to, to call yourself out. Right, right. <laughs> I love it. So, and I, I just liken it to, okay, you're, you're at a stop signal and, um, you know, you want to go through, you want to go wherever you're going. You have a goal to go down the road, but yeah. you've got the emergency brake on. So you can rev up the gas all you want. That's like working real hard and trying and <laughs> right. But you're not going anywhere. Right. The yellow light vision is just a more moderate version of the red light vision. And it has some glimpses of green light in it because you might... <clears throat> buy the flowers. Okay. I'm I buy the flowers. But then when you go to give the flowers, you just feel weird about it. And maybe like you say, you say something stupid, right? We do this all the time. You go, um, you know, Oh, 
here's the flowers I know you want, or here's the flowers. I bought you flowers because I know you need flowers. <laughs> oh, way to go, bonehead. You bought the flowers, but then you said something stupid when you delivered them, which, you know, eliminated the flowers. Or you say uh, something, you know, like your spouse says to, you know, you know, how do I, how's this outfit look? Well, you know, honey, it looks fine. It looks great. Okay. You know, and you know, we're saying a nice thing, but yeah, it's not really congruent or it's, it's half ass or well, yeah. right. And so a green light vision is she walks out of the bedroom. She doesn't have to ask mm. yellow light is she has to ask, right? We make her work for it. Green light is she walks out and you go, honey, you look fabulous. I love that outfit. And, you know, just notice men. I'm talking to men here, but this yeah. is for everybody. Just notice. We're all taking notes. When I say those words, does that, do you like lean into those words or do you kind of go, oh, I don't know. What, like, wow, really? What a wimp. <laughs> okay. You got a yellow light around your relationship because a green light vision you want to significantly improve the relationship with your spouse and you see, you see every opportunity to do, be, and speak actions that affirm your goal, that are in line with your goal. So this is where reticular activator comes in. Shall I go there? Yeah, please. Yeah, fancy word for a filtering system. Yeah. So the the theory or the neuroscience, not a theory, is that there's so much stimuli available to our senses all the time that if we let it all in, we would just melt. We'd just go crazy. We'd be in total overwhelm. And so there's this filtering system, it's technically called the reticular activator, which, which by design only lets things in that we declare are important to us. And uh, I don't remember the first person to use this example, but it's, you know, it's a real easy one. So notice how once you decide that you want to buy a particular model car or motorcycle or boat or RV or, you know, color model. So you lock in on it. Yeah. You've decided that that particular thing is important to you, or it could be, you know, anything in life. You decide you want to start getting fit and you're going to start exercising. So now you make that important to you. What the reticular activator does, the filter system, is it starts letting that information in now. So in the classic example, you know, you decided you want to buy a red Mustang, and all of a sudden, you start seeing red Mustangs everywhere. And you think, wow, everybody's starting to buy red Mustangs. No, they already had them. <laughs> you just didn't see them before. You had a scotoma, another technical term, which blinded you from seeing all the red Mustangs because you would just be overwhelmed because if you saw all the red Mustangs, you'd also see all the yellow, blue, white, yeah. black, orange, multicolored Mustangs. 
plus every other car on the planet. <laughs> yeah. And you'd be like driving down the road like, oh, wow, oh, look, at, look at all these cars. Yeah. And now you drive down the road and the only ones you see are the red Mustangs. So if you have a green light vision, you see you driving home and I, at, at night after work, you see the flower stand. You know, of all the businesses that go by your mm. peripheral vision, you see the flower stand. And it triggers so you. You pull off and or you see the the quote on social media that, oh, I got to send that to my wife. Why do you see that quote? Because you made edifying your relationship important to you. So your filter system starts letting stuff in. Now, most people call that actually creativity. So we think, oh, I'm so creative that, uh, you know, I'm manifesting all of this stuff. <laughs> you know, out of thin air, right? So I'm just sitting here vibrating, um, <laughs> and, you know, opportunities coming to me and ideas are coming to me. Well, maybe I'm not disputing that the spiritual being can't sit there and vibrate and just have money rain out of the ceiling, maybe. <laughs> but what's more likely is you're just seeing opportunity that you never saw before. Because you declared, if you want to like move it to money. To let it in. Yeah, you declared, I'm doubling my income this year. And you declared, I'm looking for new technologies, new partners, yeah. new ideas to double my income. That's my vision. That's my declaration. And so when you're trolling me social media now, you're just not looking at, oh, look what he's doing. Oh, look what she's doing. You're looking for ideas and they pop off the page. That's manifestation. It's not vibrating in your chair, making <laughs> money rain out of air molecules. Yeah. And you, you dive richly into this in the book. You go on and talk about getting clear on the values, your gifts, um, your strengths. And I think, you know, sometimes people struggle with, with this, this, because in order to do this, in order to let this stuff in, I think it all correlates what you were saying much earlier, which was around self-esteem and self-image to allow yourself to um, recognize what your gifts and strengths are. Why do you think people struggle with that? Well, they, they struggle with it because <clears throat> it's like water to a fish. Our self-esteem, until we do enough work, to become self-aware, mm. uh, our self-esteem is like water to a fish. We just, we don't know any different. We don't have any perspective. We think it's just who we are. And we're who we are. And, and yeah. you know, you actually can lead to a little bit of insanity if, if you start to interject the idea that, well, you're not who you are. You actually could be somebody different and you, you leave people with the idea of their identity list. So when you go through transformation, yeah. it's really valuable to go through transformation with a really good coach or a really good community because there's a period of time where the king or queen has no clothes. You're going through a transformation of identity. You, 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 do, you don't own who you used to be. You're moving into who you want to be. And you go through this process where you're, you're 
kind of walking on thin ice, right? You're not stable. You're not sure who you are. And that can be a little scary, make you a little bit crazy because most people hold it that we are who we are and there's nothing we can do about it. And it'd be futile to even try to change. And I don't want to change. I, you know, if you've spent the last 40 years in that skin well, the only way to stay sane about it is you have to actually start rationalizing it and falling in love with it. And what that sounds like is, you know, I may be a jerk. Oh, actually, a, a buddy of my, mine, this is his, this is a high school buddy of mine. This is his favorite saying. I might be dirt, but I'm good dirt. <laughs> so that's his way of falling in love with his low self-esteem and he does have low self-esteem his core identity is that he's not worthwhile mm. he's worthless and he's found a way to kind of justify it or make it okay it's how it's how he makes a joke about it yeah. otherwise because <clears throat> he's he has made a decent life for himself, so he's not homeless. He's not a drug addict. Right. He's not you know he's not in jail. You know he hasn't ruined his life. He's he's made a good life, and the way he did it was he kind of put this spin on, you know, <clears throat> I I'm really a piece of crap, but you know I don't smell bad, <laughs> so um, you know, kind of keeps him sane in the world. And most people kind of figure out how to get sane around their low self-esteem and they survive and they even do fairly well. And some people take their low self-esteem. Some of the biggest success stories on the planet, Joe, are people with chronic low self-esteem because they spend their entire life trying to prove that they're enough. Yeah. So they become a billionaire because they have a story that, well, if I'm a billionaire, uh, no, no one can reject me. Yeah, and then success really is just subjective because I wouldn't call that success, right? Right, but they yeah. do. Right? They do. And yeah. Sometimes it's sports. Sometimes it's money. Yeah. Sometimes true. It's how pretty their spouse is. Um, sometimes it's just they put themselves in a position in the community to dominate and influence people. Politics is a great place for low self-esteem people <laughs> to prosper because they get to control and influence other people. Um, so, you know, the whole, that's why I say low self-esteem is the number one communicative disease on the planet. It's not COVID. It's not the flu. It's low self-esteem. And we pass it on from generation to generation to generation. And this generation in this set of decades, beginning about 1965, 1970, is the first generation that really has an opportunity to break the chains break the the pattern from your parents and millions of people in the last 30 or 40 years have done that they are not a <clears throat> replica of their parents values they have discovered some authenticity they've maybe taken what they wanted from their parents so good. but they've created their own identity and i think one of the most important points i i look to make in the book mark 2 is is as long as you're being someone else, you're being your mom or you're being your dad or you're being a rebel to your Mm. mom or dad. In other words, who you are is just the opposite of them. You're still a slave to their values and their self-esteem. 
and they are to wow. their parents and they are to their parents. And most of us are just walking around a slight modification from, you know, people with the values of parents of the 1500s, which, you know, committed genocide and all kinds of other atrocities. We're not that much better. Yeah. This generation of human beings has a real opportunity through coaching, communities, technologies, education to radically transform into an authentic value-based being. And when you do that, you're 10 to 100 times more powerful at achieving your goals because they're your goals. They're not trying to prove something to your parents or be your parents. Or be the opposite. Yes, which is a yeah. real weak place to come from. Wow, really powerful and deep. And I think helpful uh, to everyone listening. I would. This is the time, this is the part of the interview you rewind a couple of times to hear that so it sinks in. So often we say things like, I get that from my dad or I'm just like my dad or I don't want to be like my dad or I don't want to be like my mom, you know. And we live in this this bubble of of uh, connecting ourselves, like you said, attached to that value system that isn't serving us um, versus developing our own, which is what you workshop people through in, in the in the book as well. And you have a you you kind of end it with writing a film script <clears throat> for your life, which I love. Um, and you know, you talk about you know, vision without action is just a fantasy, and you uh, kind of give people a way to, like I said, workshop themselves into. Um, a, like a, a stage, like, Hey, I'm going to write the script of what I want my life to look like. And so you can create your own values. You can claim and declare your own gifts and and strengths, which I think is really powerful. And, and what makes your book so important um, and really not the book, the, the work that you do, it's the book is just a glimpse. In fact, I can tell everybody that this interview, you got more, uh, even more out of it than you. If you read the book and watch this interview, you, it's like the ultimate combination here because what you just gave in here helped me understand pieces of the book better, which I'm like, now I understand uh, that part of the book a little bit better because of how you went into it. And so I appreciate you taking the time. We've gone way over our time. Um, last piece that I just want to, if you don't mind just touching on this, this is the longest interview I think I've done in a long time. Um, and I appreciate you taking the time to share is, is that you, and I think this is really important for people in all different types of businesses. You say um, that you need to fall in love with the process and that you believe that's the secret sauce. And process to doing business, process to prospecting, process to doing things that are duplicatable. Talk a little bit about what you mean by falling in love with the process and how does somebody do that? Because a lot of times we think, well, I'm not motivated to do stuff that's maybe I might, uh, might be telling a story myself, myself. Now I know it's telling a story that that seems mundane or that seems repetitive. Or that seems like, like, how do I get myself up to do that over and over again? Why aren't we talking about setting our hair on fire and getting motivated here? So there's some conflicting stories we tell ourselves, or at least I tell myself that I think others might share in falling in love with the process. How do we do it? Yeah. Well, you know, when I wrote the book in 1995, <clears throat> I didn't know much about that concept at all. And so the idea I totally rewrote the book a couple of years ago, so it incorporates this this idea. But originally, the people that coached me and and trained me, the idea was, you know, you know, set a goal, you know, and you want a big hairy goal, right? You want a big transformational goal, great big thing. And so, goal setting is one technology that's super super valuable. But vision and self motivation is a totally different technology that actually conflicts with goal setting in some ways. But if you learn how to marry the two, 
wow, you can really produce magnificent results. But the whole paradigm was pick something, some place, some state of being, some income level, some movie out in the future, which is really not time-based, but transformation-based. So if you're making $100,000 a year now, the whole idea is visualize what it'll be like to make you know, a quarter million a year, a half a million a year. So visualize the end result is the point. Yeah. That's the paradigm. <clears throat> Up until I started studying, falling in love with the process. And this is, this is just transformational. This just sets all achievement technology on its ear. And the idea is this. So the, the process of vision and self-motivation is you want to get clarity and define the vision, uh, you know, create that movie. And then the process of spaced repetition is you want to teach the part of you that's the manifestation part of you to believe in the inevitability of the story. That's, that's, and it's not kind of, it's not the kind of belief where it's evidence based or rationale based. It's just spaced repetition based, right? Yeah, I so know if, if I do this over and over, I will yeah, get X. If you take a kid and tell a kid over and over and over and over and over again, this is the way the world works. They mm -hmm. don't need any proof. They don't need any rationale. They just become an adult and now they're telling people, oh, by the way, this is the way the world works. Well, how do you know that? Well, I just know it. <laughs> well, actually, it's because your dad told you 7,500 times that's the way the world works, right? <laughs> Right. And there's no it could be it could be not the way the world works, but you are embody that it's that way. Right. Yeah. So the process of teaching the manifestation part of us that something is true, <clears throat> that's a bigger challenge. If the idea that you're looking to teach it is, well, I earn five times as much money as I actually earn. So I'm trying to take the idea of 5Xing my income and teaching the part of me that can't tell the difference yeah. over and over and over again that I actually do earn five times the income. Now, it's very doable. You can do that and you can all of a sudden start to be the kind of person that thinks and sees and has a reticular activator of five times the income. But here's something that's a million times easier. And just ask the question, what do I need to do every day that I'm not doing now? To 5X my income. Hmm. You know, as a coach, Joe, I mean, you and I ask that question all the time. Yep. What do you need to do different? What's the plan? What's the strategy? What's the actions, right? Okay, great. You want to earn five times your income? You can sit there and vibrate on the vision, 5Xing my income. What do you actually need to do every yes, single day? Every day. Let's get down to daily. And, yeah. you know, the thing is, success is not that complicated. So if you're earning $100,000 a year now, you know, you and I could take just about anybody. We don't even need to be an expert in their field. We can ask them because they know they're the yeah. expert. They know they're just not, they don't have the knowledge organized in a way yeah. that will produce the result. So you ask enough questions, you know, we, you and I both have a background in network marketing. So, you know, you could just ask a network marketer, okay, you want to go from hundred grand to 500 grand a year? Well, how many people did you personally enroll in the last 24 months? Uh, 17. Okay, well, what if you enrolled 77? Um, <laughs> right, right. right. And what would you need to do every day in order to do that? Exactly. Okay. How many people do you talk to about your products and your opportunity every day? Well, I don't talk to people every day. Okay. Well, what if you talk to two people every day and you did that for six months? You're not going to 
you know, 5X your income 12 months from now. But if you extrapolate that out, you and I know that's a proven formula. You're a deadlock cinch for 5Xing your income. As long as you're in the right opportunity, right. whether it's real estate or you're selling mortgages or you, you know, somebody's like, okay, I weigh 175 pounds. I want to weigh 200 pounds. I want to be able to, you know, deadlift twice as much weight as I can now. Pretty simple. Yeah. Change what you do every day. Now, when it comes, so so you say, well, how do I get motivated to talk to two people a day or go to the gym every day? I don't want to. I don't like doing that. Okay, that's just a story, right? You say, you don't want to, you don't like doing that. Okay, you don't like going to the gym every day? No, I don't. What if I give you $1,000 every day to go to the gym every day for an hour? <laughs> 30 grand a month. If I gave you 30 grand a month to go to the gym every day, now would you like going to the gym? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. The gym would be great. Brilliant. Okay. <clears throat> so let's just rehearse the idea of, oh, yeah, the gym would be great. You have the capability to make up a story that the gym every day would be great. So, you know, whether it's just a mind hack, really. And so right. falling in love with the process is, yeah, you can keep the vision of 5Xing your income, but how you're really going to get there is let's write a movie script mm. of you loving going to the gym every day. You say, really? well, how do I do that? Okay, well, tell me about the movie script now. What don't you like about going to the gym every day? Well, you know, and you'll tell me, right? Uh, it's too hard. It hurts. I don't have time. Okay. That's a red light movie. You're never going to the gym. I don't care how disciplined you are. I don't care how committed you are. I mean, this will make some people mad, but discipline and commitment are bankrupt concepts. You're making me mad. To people that aren't motivated. <laughs> if you're not motivated, well, you better find some discipline or commitment. But all that's going to have you do is show up to the gym. Like, well, here I am at the gym again every day. <laughs> Sooner or later, you, story. you need to create a story. Just make it up. Let's brainstorm <laughs> it. What, what could the gym look like, feel like, sound like? What if you went to a gym and there were nothing but hot chicks in the gym? Maybe you need to create a story about let's not go to the muscle man sweaty gym where everybody there's twice as big as you. How about you go to the yoga class where there's nothing but hot chicks? <laughs> then would you go to the gym every day? Okay, so you just brainstorm, right? And so like when I'm talking to people about new business development, oh, why don't you talk to two people a day? Well, I'm afraid they're going to say no. And so you just work through that. Okay, well, what if your objective, instead of trying to sell them every day, what if you just got to know them? Instead of trying to make a sale every day. Yeah. What if your objective was make a new friend every day? Learn yeah. something. That changes someone. the story right there. Yeah. Change the story. That's a different movie. Making yeah. a friend with somebody than selling someone and how that'll play out might end up being green light for you. Yeah. So you just brainstorm perhaps with somebody until you can create a story where you say, well, if it was like that, I would do it. Okay. Let's make the vision like that. And then that's the one that you rehearse over and over and over and over again. And it might take you two or three or four weeks yeah. of 
studying that vision before you start to lean into, okay, now I'm going to start talking to more people. And it becomes who you are. More often. That's the process of falling in love with the process. And when you nail that, then all the big hairy goals are inevitable. I mean, you're just on a deadlock cinch track because everything in life that we want to achieve, there's a formula for it. If anybody else has ever done it, there's a formula. And you can pretty much find out what it is. You can just ask them, how'd you do it? Yeah. And a lot of times that answer isn't in just the behavioral actions they took, but the mental rehearsals that they they did in their head that they maybe weren't even that consciously aware of, but you can still model from them with the like right questions. Yep. Um, really powerful. That's, I mean, Richard, you came into deli- this like eight, 9am now and it's in Calton, California. And you came on here with your hair on fire. Thanks for sharing <laughs> so much awesome information with everyone. How do people find you? How do they uh, learn more about you? And is And where, what can they, where can they glean more of this from you? Uh, well, they they can go to my website, yeah. <clears throat> richardbrook.com. Brook is with an E. Um, it's not the best website in the world, but it's all kind of there. Um, You've got links to your incredible podcast, which encourage, encourage yeah, people to I, subscribe to. Yeah, Richard. you can get on my, my list there. There's digital products there. There's live programs. I do a live program almost every month. I'm launching another one, I think, Monday. You have a uh, membership program too, right? I don't. Oh, you probably don't have a new I probably should, but <laughs> you should. I don't. Um, and you can find me on Facebook at Richard Bliss Brook. Um, okay. Bliss is actually my middle name, but if you drop that in there, you'll find me on Facebook. And if you're a network marketer, uh, the smaller group is called The Authentic Networker on Facebook. Or you can find me in Wildcat Station, California, in the foothills below Yosemite. At the moment, I live in Hawaii. If you, ever get, I, if you ever get to Lanai, the little island in Hawaii, you can find me there. Nice. I will uh, make sure to put all those links in the show notes, and I'll put them in the description uh, following the show. If you're catching it live, you'll get those links soon. Uh, if you're listening to this on Apple or on one of the podcast stations, just check the show notes. You'll have everything that you need there. Richard, God bless you. Thank you for being on here. This has been amazing. Yeah, you're welcome, Joe. It's a great honor. Great honor and long overdue. Thanks. I hope you I hope you come back sometime. Happy to. All right, everyone. Richard, stay with me. Everybody else, uh, as you could see, as you could hear, Richard is not the average Joe. And uh, (laughs) we're so thrilled that he was our guest today. And hopefully you took some great notes. If you caught this late or you were listening to or watching it, uh, you know, well into the show because we went over an hour. I can't believe we went over an hour. You want to go back and watch this from the beginning. This was absolutely unbelievable and i really appreciate the time richard thank you so much everyone we'll see you next week tune in next week for the not your average joe show with international business mentor joe soto